No my Heidi Mikey Quite Simply Politics. Welcome everyone back to another episode of Quite Simply Politics. I have an amazing guest with me here today and I'm dressed for the occasion. We've got a little bit of colour going on. Now, we don't usually have my phone here on with me on uh, the podcast. But this wahine has so many portfolios that I wanted to do justice and actually share them all with you because I think from this list, she's probably one of, if not the hardest working MP in Parliament. She has the portfolio for corrections, courts, defence, electoral reform, ethnic communities, foreign affairs, human rights, justice, overseas development aid, police, refugees, statistics, trade, and she's also a member of the Foreign Foreign Affairs Defence Trade Committee, and also Privileges Committee. Please welcome to the podcast, Goldies. Welcome. Kia ora. Thank you so much for coming to visit us today and be on the podcast. It's an absolute joy to have you. Such a joy to be here. So how is that list working out for you? <laughs> In my mind, because I can always say them. Um, oh, I can got, remember them. Yeah? And it's because they fit into sort of two broad groups maybe three so it's like the justice group so justice prisons courts police and then the foreign global staff so defense foreign affairs humanitarian aid human rights and refugees but now there's statistics (laughs) (laughs) it's just that one that sits there it actually for me it fits really well with human rights because it's about like data security privacy the way that different government bodies were using our stats to cut people off from their social welfare benefits mm. or whatever else. So, for, like, it's really clear in my mind, but it does seem like an outlier <laughs> otherwise. Do you have a favourite? Because there's a lot there. Mm. I can't – I mean, it, like, today I did a big trade briefing, and mm. it's really funny that, like, trade also might seem like an outlier for people, but I love it. It's not my favourite, but I do just want to be, like, shout out to when you have – those random little interests. <laughs> what do you like about trade? Tell me. So trade touches on everything. Oh, yeah. It's te tiriti o waitangi. Oh. It's women's rights, workers' rights, the climate crisis, everything, mm. health, whatever. And no one knows anything about it. Yeah. Other than these little, very highly elite teams of people mm. in like the Ministry of Foreign Affairs trade there's lawyers and various like really high-end law firms that get engaged with it and they're all done in secret they're all done in you know and yeah. so when you turn up and you have any kind of idea of like my background is in international law so yeah. I can actually like read these documents yeah. and be like push back yeah and it gets quite fun because yeah. they're like oh you know <laughs> yeah. well that means there's like... a lot of like oh don't you worry your little head about that no. kind of vibe yes. not just directed at me it's just yeah. like everyone in the world is treated like oh don't it's just too complex oh commercial sensitivities oh too complex and when you can actually get it and go well no you know how's this gonna sit with um regulating tobacco which yeah. we need to do for our people how's this gonna sit with um, no new minds. Yeah. It, it, like it touches everything. Yeah. So I, it's like a precious portfolio. But um, yeah, it's I've got very like trauma faced <laughs> portfolio. <laughs> We're gone there. We're how many three I minutes? <laughs> We're already there. 
but for real, like criminal justice, yeah. police corrections, yeah, like just absolute colonization portfolios. Mm, mm. Um, and then of course defense, humanitarian aid, mm. you know, refugees. It's all very the sectors that I meet with come with trauma yeah but it's all kind of my background and my work has crosses over like I'm very lucky that I've been able to um and like being in a small party means that you can actually lead on things from mm. from day one like it's a blessing and a curse <laughs> <laughs> you're like right in there um but yeah it does mean that I can go okay well I've worked in the justice system so I will be speaking to these issues and I and I have those sector-based connections but then when you speak to something like refugees Mm. And it's, like, your actual experience. Mm. And defense, too. Like, I've lived in a war. Mm. It's everyone that comes to you, you can, like, empathize with. Great. The job of a representative. Yeah. But also that they come with trauma. So, yeah. There's so much here (laughs) that I need to come back to. (laughs) I'm going to try and get my mind. It's just the portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... One of the things that you touched on just then was about colonized port- like the colonized portfolios. Can you explain to me what you understand that to be? Yeah, so I worked um, for years in the criminal justice system. Yep. I was a defense lawyer in New Zealand. So a lot of legal aid work, a lot of mm. like duty work at courts and whatever. Um, and so you see it. Mm. Like you – it's – tangible yeah. when you look when you're in those justice um sector institutions like you're mm. sitting there and the judges are all pakeha pretty much it's things have changed a little bit since i went into the justice system sort of 15 years ago but they haven't changed that much yeah. especially as you go up the courts mm. so you go you know start district court and then a high court court of appeal you know and so you see the bench and it looks a certain way and you see the bar mm. <laughs> which mm. is the lawyers and that looks a certain way, um, especially if you go Crown solicitors, defence lawyers, and then there's the police, and then one after the other as the defendants come through. Yeah, you see who's who is truly targeted, but it, but one like that's at the very surface level. It it is vastly Maori and Pacific who mm. come through. Just in case that wasn't clear. <laughs> like, um, but then you like, you know, you, you meet with hundreds and hundreds of people as you go through. Um, and if ever you think, okay, we need to get, you know, a psych report for this person and you order it, I'd say like 90% of the time, mm-hmm. and I might be slightly overshooting it, and so we'll go down to 80, it'll be someone that was removed as a child. It'll be. Wow. Yep. And it, they'll By be. By the state. Yeah, mm. state care will be in their history. Mm. It'll be foster care. It'll be, you know, all sorts of different types of state care. Um, they would have come through the, the youth justice system probably. And then you have, so you have the mental health mm. stuff that comes from that because obviously if they've been taken into state care, there's been some kind of trauma at that level and then now manifesting. Almost everyone in the justice system who works in defense knows this you learn it in like day one if you sit down with your client you've just got their first papers and you haven't met them before you will always say um here's your you know here's your summary of facts here's whatever would you like me to read it out because almost no one can read and write Mm. and you have to because that's wild right like if I was giving you 
three pages of paper, I would never go, should I just sit here and read that to yeah. you? Yeah. But every, we all do it because high chance. Mm. That, so we've got the literacy thing. We've got poverty sitting there. We've got all of the indicators that we've like been screaming about and, and overlaid that is obviously race. So you can see the impacts of yeah. colonization on whether someone's been able to complete education, whether they've accessed mental health care, whether they've been taken into state care. And then at the point that you're sitting, whether they're going to be uh, arrested, yeah. charged, if arrested and charged, convicted, if convicted, sentenced mm. to imprisonment. And you see that, mm. um, that statistic is so live. Mm. So when I, yeah, so when I talk to those portfolios, it's... Yeah. That's top of mind. They, they are colonisation portfolios. Like yeah. they are the impacts of, yeah, so, you know, over 50% of the prison population is Māori and... Mm. Oh, and obviously the really, really bad stat, which is Wahine Māori are the most incarcerated mm. women Indigenous people in the world. So if we compare ourselves to Australia even, which we love to do, yeah. um, we're doing worse. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, it's a, it, it's a kind of a gross uh, ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Mm. But, the, but also the stats are so clear that it should be like a... These, are, these should be like the easiest solutions yeah. almost. Should be a far different story. Because you just go, yeah, so we know what's happening. We need X, Y, and Z support. Yeah. And we're like still fighting yeah. for even that recognition. So, Is there a point when you were working in that system that led you to go, I need to get in and do something oh, and change? Into- for sure. Yeah. Like case by case yeah. is... It, like it's probably um, in some ways I look back at it now and I'm like okay at least you got resolved yeah <laughs> you got like yeah. some kind of closure um, but it's still like people just keep coming back through or the same yeah. type of case or the same kind of whanau or you know whatever and so yeah after a while you're like okay yeah someone needs to connect these dots yeah um, so yeah for sure what pushed you from that world into um, politics and then aligning with Green Party what what were the the key drivers there yeah so I had always been green like I'd sort of through uni and that we had things like anti-war protests Mm -hmm. or whatever else and it was always the green MPs that would show up it was like it was Keith Locke who's you know one of my all-time faves shout out to Keith Locke shout out to Keith (laughs) um (laughs) who I still have like a coffee and scone with once in a while he's awesome oh my god he's so sharp and his portfolios were those global ones like the war and peace and whatever um so he would turn up and it was for me as like a young middle eastern origin sort of refugee relatively political like woman of color it was like i had no idea that a politician at that level in new zealand would know anything about the Middle East. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, to me, it was like, whoa, seen <laughs> in a very unexpected way. Um, so that connected me with that mm. movement. And then I went overseas to do my UN work and came back and was like, what is happening here? It was like the second, I think, term of the um, John Key government. Mm. And they were like, we're going to mine in the National Reserves mm. for coal because that's normal. <laughs> like, it was, seemed really weird. Like, yeah. New Zealand was just like so... Different and like child poverty was yeah. the biggest conversation, um, and so I was like, all right, I'm gonna. And I think you come back as well, and when you've been in um, 
so I'd been in quite a hyper not necessarily political but like an engaged setting where like everyone's doing something together you know I was in these UN courts and you're like some kind of well people pretend anyway that you're like at this cutting edge of something you know you're like oh we're really dedicated but New Zealand is apathetic yeah and that's a beautiful luxury it totally is absolutely it's a luxury if you can just disengage or whatever I mean obviously there are people who are disengaged because they're genuinely struggling but Auckland you know in 2013 when I came back was very um property market renovations whatever and you know my friends had like gone into the law or whatever and it was like oh I can't (laughs) where are the engaged people (laughs) so there was a little compulsion of yeah like doing that so I went back into the party and kind of ended up on the exec and um did that for for that next election and then the following election I ran Mm. for the first time so that was the 2017 election and then just very unexpectedly for me if I'd thought about it in 2016 when I decided to run I wouldn't have thought I would have gotten in yeah but I did yeah but that was a weird election yeah yes yes absolutely now one thing you said just before is that you said of a small party do you think greens is small um we are we technically I think are a medium-sized party right yeah and I think that's yeah, I, I think sometimes we punch above our weight mm. um, in the ways that matter, but we certainly, when I say small, it's like the amount of funding that we get, yeah. for example, yeah. and, you know, the way that government even categorizes us in terms of broadcasting, you know, like, yeah. so we, yeah. Because I feel like in public minds, yourself and also ACT on the other side, you guys are not small parties anymore yeah and that's like the beauty of MMP I do really love that that everyone here can more or less everyone um can vote and know Mm. that their vote will somehow be counted rather than that American style like you just win or lose isn't that awful absolutely crazy like like mob rules politics it and how you can't have a civil they seem to well not this is me generalizing but the inability for somebody who's like a card-carrying Republican to, to be able to, like, vilify somebody who's a Democrat and they just can't sit in a room and be pleasant to one another? It's so devastating. Like, it's actually <laughs> devastating. <laughs> like, to me, at a really base level, because I come from a place where people cannot, um, like, meaningfully vote mm. or participate. Like, there is no option. Mm. It's like a one-party, you will absolutely be tortured or killed if you oppose them mm. situation. And people living in those... like under those regimes absolutely do know Mm. what democracy is like Mm. they do know what their rights are and what that would look like they do know that they're oppressed so it's not like like you don't feel like that's fine so like that level of oppression and then you're like we live in a democracy and people can't Mm. yeah it it does break my heart what's happening in America (laughs) so I'm really really grateful that we have an MMP system where we are becoming Obviously, like, people do keep talking about this, and it is true that we're becoming much more polarised as well, but at least there are political movements to some extent for people to mm. go to. <laughs> that, so one of the, the – the word polarising is really, really important, I think, to acknowledge in politics because I feel like sometimes – and I could be wrong, but it would be interesting to see what your perspective is from being – as a member inside parliament is that 
inability to even be friendly to somebody that you may fundamentally disagree with mm. it seems to be starting to be lost more and more um <laughs> i think there's only one person in parliament that i think does that <laughs> Everyone else is pretty chill. Do I dare ask? Oh, you can guess it. <laughs> Absolute instant. But that doesn't mean that people are listening to each other. No. Like, just because you get in the lift and you're able to have a normal conversation, yeah. you know, about the weather and then mm. get out on the next floor, doesn't mean that you're meaningfully then debating. Right. The biggest sham I've ever come across mm-hmm. ever is the parliamentary debates being debates. Like, the word debate should not apply. Oh, uh, no like members, uh, yeah, 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 like yeah. general so, debate. No, just the debates on the bill. Oh, okay. The yeah. general debate is definitely not a debate because people aren't even talking about the same topic. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Everyone gets up and just talks about a different thing. It's just, well, I don't even, that's fine. <laughs> it's a free for all. <laughs> but the debates on the bills, like something will come to the house, it'll have a first reading, which means it'll have, um, 12 speeches at mm-hmm. each reading so da, da, da. Um, and so say it's the first reading you get 12 and each party gets a proportional amount of time depending on how big they are yeah but that's not a debate because yeah. the labor people will get up and say pretty much the same thing like they might point out slightly different points but they are voting for it for example the Nats will get up and say pretty much the same thing because they are voting against it we will say whatever we're saying but there's no way that anyone it's changing their mind or their vote. Mm. There's not even an expectation of that. Mm. It's all been decided. The part, like the, from the first speech from that party, you know that that party is voting for or against, and that's it. Yeah. Whereas, which is quite bizarre to me because I come from the most adversarial system. Yeah. The criminal justice system. It's yeah. literally called an adversarial justice system. Yeah. So you're meant to be polar opposites, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It's like the point is that you're testing the evidence by being polarized. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you get in and you do that. And even within that system, it's wildly different because mm-hmm. people do, like, once you test the evidence, the other side, if it falls apart, they will concede that. So you'll take that out. Often charges will get taken out. Mm. Certainly, evidence will be neutralized and everyone can agree. Um, and then there's a decision and that's fine. And even then, even though the parties aren't debating each other in that meaningful way, because there's like a commitment to like the truth, (laughs) (laughs) they are moved by the evidence in various ways. And that is absolutely not the case in parliament. What, how should we change it? Like, I I mean, I think those conversations probably don't necessarily, you know, like there's a lot that moves behind the scenes. Yeah. But there's a lot of also, like, showmanship yeah. that I think is what the public are really mm. turned off by, mm. frankly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people just getting up and being like, I'm outraged by the level of poverty mm. or whatever. And then they're saying, you know, they're voting against some, like, housing, whatever, subsidy. You know, the just the constant showmanship and the constant kind of slightly messing with the truth for a political gain because yeah. actually it isn't about the truth like in the courtroom for mm. example it's much more about mm. political gain um I do think those conversations can happen and I mean I have certainly experienced it happening like having to negotiate prisoner voting with a New Zealand first Labour government mm. and being like told you know absolutely not New Zealand first would never vote for it so don't even talk to us you know when mm. kind of raising this with 
a minister and then it's like, oh, okay, but you can actually go around that and have those conversations yeah. anyway because they're not expecting to yeah. be treated with respect or getting the one that I always kind of do talk about is having to deal with Ron Mark and a very established military man yeah. and minister for defence, um, absolutely passionate about NZDF and like their role and whatever we've got a total policy of like essentially disarmament pretty yeah, much yeah. and like certainly not defense spending and having to negotiate pulling the New Zealand uh, deployments in the Middle East mm. which was very important to me yeah. um and we did it <laughs> and then he um he also refocused he did a whole new defense strategy refocused the work of NZDF on um, combating climate crisis and credited our conversations with bringing him to that point and mm. then actually jointly announced it with the Green Party. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was and it was that thing of, like, just coming to the table and being like, like, I'm going to not come at you like you're my enemy. You're, yeah. um, I mean, at, at that point, all I knew about him is that he's Māori and he's been in the military. Mm. And to me, that's like, okay, that you've got lived experience. Like, there's something there for you that's not politics yeah and I can talk to you as someone who's experienced war like I've experienced war mm. in a different way um and we can you know like you're not coming at it from a place of this person is evil yeah. <laughs> which I think sometimes on the left of things we can mm. do mm. um especially when it's you know around some of those protest movements where you go yeah so it was. It became quite interesting to have those conversations, and he's, it turns out, a per, you know, he was a child that went into state care, mm. and the military sort of, in his mind, saved his life because at sixteen he could just get out of yeah. the hell that would have been state care into somewhere where there's like respect and. And isn't that just mind-bogglingly disappointing that you have to go mm. that way? To avoid state care because we yep. know what that does. Yep, and his brother yeah. ended up in prison. So, I mean, and he tr openly talks about that, but it's like that thing of, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. actually, wherever we, you know, you're kind of, ex yeah, and noticing the human aspects of politics sometimes does help those conversations because mm. at the end of the day, we're all bringing, mm. yeah. Often it's privilege, to be fair. Yeah. It's not all... <laughs> Often it's just absolute self-interest and privilege and that those that's harder to get around. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good example. Okay. Can I touch on that for a moment? Yeah. Because I did present um, before one of the sleep committees on uh, the standing orders review. Oh, my God. <laughs> RIP. Absolute RIP. <laughs> okay, to be clear, I'm pretty sure that Gould is saying, oh, my God, because I'm a big geek. <laughs> yeah, that was an absolute... <laughs> That's kind of stuff I spend my Correct. time doing. Correct. <laughs> but the point is that I said there. Oh my God, I'm so interested. What did you submit? In front of all of your parliamentary colleagues and I said, do you truly believe that the work that you do is serving the public or is it serving your own interests? Your colleague, Jan Logie, yeah. got straight in on that and asked me, what I thought should be changing, how did I see it not representing grassroots, all of these kind of things, then the question sort of turned to whether or not... Oh, my God, so beautiful. <laughs> whether or not we should be 
less over um like sort of photography in the house because oh what happens if there's a photo of somebody doing something wrong in the house yeah and i thought that is you serving your interest not serving the public's interest and it just turned into a very interesting roundabout conversation where i sort of got somewhere and then back to how it should serve itself um thoughts on that ficado well like it reminds me of that thing about um like the way that parliamentarians should dress Mm. And, you know, there was that, yeah, yeah, the tie yep. versus the ponamo. Um, and that thing of, like, well, like, there's a perception of how the House of Representatives needs to be respectable visually, mm. like, aesthetically <laughs> respectable yeah. or, like, revered or whatever yeah, um, yeah, by yeah, the public. Yeah. And someone has, like, sat down and written rules around that that mm. both protect the house like you're not allowed to photograph anyone who's not speaking just mm. in case you get them like sleeping or yawning or whatever um that's what it is i mean i can definitely see how it would flip because you know who they would focus on yeah and yeah. you know yeah and it would be like whatever yeah. you know um we've talked about that um <laughs> it would not be yeah um so but the, but even like just say it was going to be all even-handed it's yeah so that's uh, but then the dress code stuff it's like why why do men have to wear so like who's yeah. re- like why have we um prioritized members of the house of representative looking like i don't know business people mm. or like some other thing within a very pakeha um sort of archetype rather than being relatable and visually of different communities. Like, it's really weird because someone is, yeah. even, like, those rules, like, someone's, is it protecting us? Because maybe it's making us less relatable and that's, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. Like, someone's decided I'd rather the public look up to the members of the House of Representatives than to relate to them as equals. And I'm not even sure that's in our interest. Like, I'm not no. even sure that's good, but someone's decided that. Well, it's because once upon a time, yeah. there was only a certain time that was allowed to be in Parliament. Yeah, and it was know. like, you have to be reminded that we are here yeah. and the rest of you are here. Yeah. It's so weird. I mean, I never wear a suit in the house, and it's, it's I mean, it's, it's vastly different from women anyway. Mm. It's like the one thing we can <laughs> control. <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> It was, yeah, and again, in court, you have to wear a suit, everyone, yeah. you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I just, I can't, I, those rules are bizarre. It's very interesting because I haven't seen any particular movement from when I submitted to now, which is pretty disappointing. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think, was there any, anyway. And that comes, it comes down to me, the fundamental mm. practice that Parliament's there to serve its people as people are not there to serve parliament. And so yeah. It's a wild ride once you mm. get in it and within the systems and then go, "Oh, this is sort of exactly what's happening. And what can I do to yeah, change that?" Do you know the one thing that I think is the greatest protector of <laughs> people in those positions of power is actually the lack of civics education like if oh don't get if people actually knew what we are meant to be doing what our roles are who you know what at 
local government and central government yep. level I just yeah it like it <laughs> it's really galling to me because I did the make it 16 campaign yeah and like that kept coming up as um oh you know 16 and 17 year olds don't know how government works and you're like how would an 18 19 50 year old know but also whose problem is that who's, if they exactly. don't know how, oh my god don't, I'm about to get <laughs> Like, who's a, yeah, like, you can't withhold information from a group yeah. of people who have a right to vote and then use mm. that mm-hmm. resource that you have withheld um, to justify keeping them from their rights. But also, no one has had a civics education. So what are we talking about Absolutely. here? Like, why, why would we magically know? How, that's what I always say, like, my pathway into learning about politics was getting a job in the beehive. Yeah. I'm like... That's the zero point zero 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 one percent per people. That is not a pathway to learning about no. how your democracy is supposed to serve you, and therefore how you no. can respond to your democracy. But literally, I don't think most people know the difference between parliament and the government, yep. and that is so fair because I literally learned that in law school. Yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah, we're, and it, yeah, we're speaking the same language. I, yeah. I just, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm about to take over your podcast, so yeah. that's why I'm stopping myself it's from so speaking. So honestly. It, it's mind-boggling it's me. one of the biggest issues yeah. and then like i'm quite interested in all of these democracy issues so like putting that next to the fact that we don't have limits on political donations mm. and you're just you know like it's we're kind of almost actively because a lack of civics education is just it has to be willful blindness like it, yeah. it's so galling so we we're actively taking away people anyone who's only been to high school and not taking it further than that is very unlikely to ever kind of learn in a system sort of system systemic systematic way um the rules and information that they need to vote and then we've got over here we've got this ability to access in a very very (laughs) disproportionate way um that's also protected Mm -hmm. and I don't even think we would have things like that happening I don't even like. I don't think the donations rules would be the same. I don't think that the rules around um, like prisoners being banned from voting, the Māori mm. role change thing that was such a fight, the sixteen and seventeen year olds, all of that stuff wouldn't even be the case if we'd had civics education mm. and people could actually look at the system and see the see the gaps. Not that that would be included in civics education, but that just having the basics would yeah. mean people would have a way higher awareness of what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And how all of those things interact and therefore what moves mm. they can make at different yeah. places, spaces. Just like we constantly talk about um, like naming the decision maker, naming the cause of something being the case because mm. most people think the economy is like just this like tiny, you know, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just like yeah. exists yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or the climate crisis mm. or like housing crisis or crime that these things just exist and we can only, you know, and mm. so explaining the decisions and the yep. decision makers that have existed over time that have put these systems in place in the way that they are, it makes it so much easier mm. for people to go, oh, we could just, oh, so we could just tax that and put it into here. <laughs> but like people don't yeah. know who's making those decisions yeah. because mm. they don't, like that's why people don't vote in local elections. Yeah. What does local government do? Everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every- You're dead right. Yeah. I got called out on another podcast, <laughs> like over local government, mm. rightfully so. But it's like I shouldn't. I should be. I'm acutely aware of what it does, and even I'm like, yeah. What do? Yeah. You know. No. Um. 
on the civics education piece, I'm a big believer it should be taught in schools, emphatically. Mm-hmm. I will just l- give you this little bit of, this tidbit of information. Yeah. I went to NCQA to say there's got to be some sort of like edu- piece of education here that we can do. So I'd written a nano degree and I thought, oh, we should get this micro-credentialed, something like this. Oh my God. Put it, in, I've got it, it exists. Put it into NCQA. They said to me, there's no proof that there's a market for this. <gasps> so I said, okay, let me show you there's a market. Now, just doing it on my own platform. But that's the level. Why of- would there be, a, why would the education be, like, it's like saying, well, I don't see where there's a market for math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the point. Yeah, well, yeah. But I was just like, so okay. I'll have to go. I'll, I'll test it within the private sector. Then okay, like I'll give you the proof that it's market. But it's literally within its own internal decision oh making. God. Yeah, it's full feudalism. Yeah, we live. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> like no one can buy a house. No one can <laughs> learn how to vote. Yeah. No one can. Like, what's happening? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> okay. I've gone down the rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> Let's bring it back up. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about general election 2023. How are you feeling? What's been happening? And how's the campaign trail been for you? Um, the campaign trail's just sort of starting. So we're sort of, um, it, it's really funny shift from, like when I went into politics, I was like, all right, I'm, because I was a lawyer, so I was like, I'm going, you know, it's the legislative branch of government. <laughs> like, we make laws, and yes. it's, like, about making um, effective policy and law and rah-rah to affect change. But actually, whilst it is the legislative branch of government, it is the House of Representatives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, it's all about campaigning yeah. and connecting and having those, which is far more pleasurable, obviously. Um, and there's definitely a link between those two yeah, things. Yeah clearly um but yeah so the campaigning when it becomes election year those two like there's a tip of the balance of like those two different types of work um as you start to focus more on your communities and making sure that they vote and making Mm. sure that they're engaged and whatever so for me it's um because a lot of the work that I do even within the portfolios is like really communities like focused communities so ethnic communities or refugees or um and with the human rights portfolio it's again it's you know um so you do notice that those are also the communities that are vastly less connected Mm. um and and with the justice ones as well because you're it's not like you're only talking about those who are in prison but their entire community because our entire communities are affected by police use of force or whatever else um Mm -hmm. so you kind of it becomes um that thing where you want to the communities that you've connected with or helped or supported or have supported you you're just kind of my approach to campaigning it's just like making sure they feel connected enough yeah. and seen enough and to go and vote yeah which is maybe a little bit different than um you're meant to you know you're meant to really focus on like the low-hanging fruit you know mm-hmm. <laughs> people who are already voting who might be kind of thinking about voting green but yeah, it's a funny, it's funny. And in a small, again, I'm saying small, but in a small caucus compared to the to the big parties anyway, where you actually hold portfolios, because I don't think people also realise, like, in the big parties, only their front bench really has portfolios. Mm. You know, yeah. like, you you have a Minister for Education, you don't then have 
random backbench MPs with education yeah. as the portfolio. Like, Imagine that. No, yeah, you can't. Yeah. But in the Green Party, I don't know if ACT has full portfolios. I'm not quite sure. And the Party Māori, obviously, they're just too small. But um, at this point. Um, but, yeah, we just come in and, like, that's your, you know, you're doing trade. So, like, yeah. if anyone wants to do a trade or global affairs or defence or whatever um, panel or debate, I will still have to front them. So we're not as localised. Yeah, right. So you yeah. kind of travel and or Zoom or whatever and you cover all of your issues-based mm. things. There's a ton of justice debates. So yeah. Obviously, justice seems like it's going to be a big issue this election, so there'll be a lot of those. Yeah. Um, and then there'll be ethnic community debates that I always end up doing yeah. and like women and politics ones yeah. or whatever. So you cover all your community ones and all your issues based ones. And then you, I'm running in Calston, which is the first place I That's lived. Right. I know. I what, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come. Yeah. I'm like, people need to come in. We don't, we haven't run anyone in Calston for a couple of elections. Yeah. So I wanted to like build up that team. Cool. But it's also really daunting to come into a new, like it's such a cool area and yeah. electorate. Yeah. Um, but we don't, you know, like we're building up that team. So it's also really daunting. So doing West Auckland. That's a call for you guys. Make it 16. Come on. Show yeah. Me, show, yeah. Us some, show us some love. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It's so fun campaigning in an election year if you're, yeah. like, if you're just getting into politics. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's absolutely. so, because you're just, like, surrounded by people who are bubbling. Yeah. At, like, you know, just, like, yeah. Do you have a memory from when you first campaigned that, like, Yeah, but that? I didn't get involved in an election year, so I was already, like, um, I was the co-convener of Auckland province. So you know okay. how we have male and female yeah. leadership. It goes right down the party. Oh, so really? I was the female yeah, I was the female co-convener of Auckland province. Yeah. Um and when we were going into elections, so I was it was like quite full on like coordinating mm. role and you have to kind of Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't I mean there's so lots of there's lots of other people as well, but it's like I We've got our AGM in Auckland this coming weekend, yeah. and I can remember the the one that I was the co-convener of Auckland, and it was also in Auckland, and it was the 2014 election, and like yeah. I can just remember all the like people's dietary requirements, <laughs> and like you've got to get childcare, and you've got to make sure there's like um, sign interpreters for the whole time, and you've got and the, like all the things that are yeah. just a given, and you're yeah. like trying to organize. <laughs> Shout out to you guys though, with as well with their sign stuff, like because. Oh. That is not even something that was in my, like, consciousness because I wasn't even aware of it until – I can't remember when, but I just remember I, – I, signific- I, I specifically remember, for me, my personal awareness coming from the Greens Party about it and yeah, why it needs so to be yeah, well, there. For us, I mean, I, it was having – I think to a large extent having Mojo Mathers, who was the mm, first ever right. um, hearing imp- impaired or – deaf I think she would describe herself as um MP and even parliament didn't have any interpretation so she couldn't she couldn't participate in the debates at all until she was like um (laughs) hello yeah and then they stopped it once she was gone did they like it's not even this is exactly what happens with disabilities issues like Mm. we constantly talk about having accessible housing Mm. and they constantly focus on you know like in state housing and it's like okay well we'll try and provide more for 
disabled people who need state housing. And it's like, great, okay, what about rentals? What about mm. all homes? What about universities? What about businesses? Because mm. actually disabled people don't just, like, go home and stay in their home. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, yeah. you know, even... And we don't want you to go home and just stay at your yeah, home. Yeah, that's exactly right, you know? Like, it's like, oh, well, can we... Can you see how yeah. they might want to go to uni? Yeah. And they might yeah. want to visit their friends. Like, can we just have standardized mm. accessibility criteria yeah. for buildings? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same with Mojo leaving yeah. and having the sign interpreter. Because it's like, actually, disabled people are sometimes not MPs, mm. but they want to hear or... They're in entitled their own to participate yeah, in their democracy. Oh, my God. It's you such know? a nightmare. But even with COVID, when they did the first couple of COVID announcements, um, we had to be like... Um, you need to sign interpreter yeah because actually people this is a crisis yeah and sometimes people are hearing impaired yeah in the crisis yeah yeah i it's just it's such an important part that mm. to me now it's like you say you you, you think about it almost like first rather yep. than last which i think is a good mind shift change but like you say there's still a long way to go there's we don't know. there's kids at schools who don't have mm. essentially don't have language and they are in New Zealand schools and yeah. like not even in small centers in places like Rotorua mm. and who have to like move to Auckland in order to have a sign interpreter at school yeah. so they can participate in this. But yeah, long way. I've always been told that I'd potentially be a great signer by people who sign because I'm very expressive. <laughs> oh my gosh, same. <laughs> yeah. We should do it. My mum used to do <laughs> braille interp like really yeah because she in iran yeah so in farsi i guess yeah. yeah and although i wonder if it's standardized yeah so she used wow. to like into i don't know she worked in that for a little bit it's amazing it's yeah it is it's quite but it's again it's one of those things where we need representation yeah. in order to have it be front of mind for mm. someone rather than this weird consultation concept that we have which doesn't work on anything it doesn't work for disability issues it doesn't work for disabled it doesn't work you know you actually have to have people on every issue absolutely. telling you what their challenge is but absolutely absolutely now <sighs> one thing that you talked about before and i'm not sure if you are comfortable talking about it or not um that is your upbringing in war and one of the things i wanted to touch on about that was do you find yourself potentially being pigeonholed by that experience within your political career or not at all? Because um, that's why I'm hesitant to yeah, touch yeah, on yeah. it because you much more than just that, but it is also I feel like I don't do the podcast justice if I don't touch on it because it's such an important point, right? Honestly, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, it not <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't. No, no, no. It's not that. It's like people ask you about being a refugee because right. it's like a label. And I think people can just be like, oh, you're a refugee. What was that like? Well, spin it out and then yeah, be like, yeah, I've yeah. done my bit. But yeah. what's really interesting about the question that you asked is that it went, this is, okay, this is like maybe over-intellectualizing it, but I'm standing with this, where <laughs> often if you've been displaced, like you are, you know, you, you're a refugee, which is what being displaced is yeah. eventually when you find refuge. Um your whole life becomes about that idea of having been a refugee mm. rather than there being a recognition that you actually had a life before mm. that. There was something else that happened. Mm. 
And so it's really interesting that you went like before the refugee experience and you're like, oh, you had like a childhood in war. Yeah. (laughs) And like no one has ever been like, what was your childhood like in Iran? Like people are just generally like, what was it like becoming a refugee? Which is maybe a way of asking that, but it's, um, yeah, so. Well, it's such a jarring thing, right? Yeah. And it, it definitely was something that I, it took me time to become comfortable in terms of that identity in politics yeah not to use the term identity politics which I hate um but the idea of like ref you know because I I put in you know I announced that I was a candidate and someone figured out that I'd be the first ever refugee who'd become an MP in New Zealand I'm comfortable with like the the label of refugee like there are millions of people around the world who are currently refugees and Mm. there's absolutely no shame or issue with um with the label Mm. but the idea that that you like tokenistically be the representative of yeah. this vast and incredibly diverse group of people, even in New Zealand, yeah. was very uncomfortable. Right. Um, but by the same token, like the responses that came from that, which was the absolute deluge of hate and fear and whatever. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Not surprising, honestly. People were just, you know, it was just the racist sort of, you know, um, oh, it was just the full range of, you must be a terrorist because I'm from it's a Muslim background. It's, it was very upsetting. Um, just why, why are we letting foreigners and you know, like it was mm. the whole full range yeah. of xenophobia, racism, Islamophobia, mm. and just something else underlaid with misogyny. Cause Mm. Mm. and they would never it would never be like women shouldn't be you know or brown women shouldn't be in politics it would be like brown people shouldn't (laughs) like whatever it would be like refugee terrorists shouldn't be in politics but then they'd use misogynistic language at the end there'd be a slur that told you that they also were saying it because you're a woman Mm. but then there was also an absolute outpouring of like love Mm. um from all sorts of communities and like migrant communities refugee communities just people here who are like allies but also everywhere else because it was the Trump election had just happened. So it was like the same, you know, it was like feeding a little bit into that, um, where people were like, oh my God, it's so great that, and that, whilst I was getting my head around it, all of this is like happening, but I kind of felt like, okay, there's some, there is is merit in taking the platform. Mm. And if more of us do it, then, you know, like I, it was, I, I have different thoughts now, kind of because it's like really not safe and I'm not entirely sure I'd like push anyone else into it but I was like all right like you're just clearing a path and just you can make it clear that we are a diverse group and this is just one person and da 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 but still take it and take the label and use it because there is even the the hate shows that there is a need for this um but certainly with the people who are just like I, I mean it's equally heartbreaking honestly to see people feel feel good because there's one person mm. like that's mm. devastating as well mm. um so yeah so it's a weird thing but it's um but yeah it started way before that and refugee lives always do so it's yeah. like you know I was born into a very political family they'd been in a revolution there'd been a revolution right before I was born um for democracy mm. and for you know it was like an anti-imperialist we want to get the oil resource back and mm. want to solve inequality like the you know little socialists um <laughs> ended up with an absolutely brutal oppressive 
theocracy. Um, so, you know, like when I get sort of that hate and abuse about being Muslim, mm. I would never respond to that by saying, well, I'm actually not and I've actually escaped a government that because it's not that's not the point yeah yeah <laughs> would never say that but that is what happened yeah <laughs> and you know and actually standing with the muslim community here as part of saying religious persecution is not okay yeah in any way yeah. no matter who's who it's coming from but that's that's where i was born into that but we still have you know birthday parties and mm. pizza nights and you know my yeah. parents were had book clubs and whatever and but the political activism just made it really, really difficult. And that was, I think the war was almost like a backdrop to that stuff. Right. Because uh, we weren't, we like my parent, my mum's family lived in the war. Mm. So when we visited them, we like it was, they, we, yeah. we got bombed. Um, and it's so funny that people still did that. Like, hold on. Can we just acknowledge that just for one moment? Like, yeah. How jarring is that as a concept? It's so I I was talking about the Ukraine war stuff a few months ago, mm. um, and I was like relating it back to my experience, and I was like, it's really because they all had gone into the underground, um, mm. like train tunnels yeah. and waited because they'd been bombed, and I was like, it was really interesting that I had a memory of that because we'd gone to bunkers. And you know certain things that other people wouldn't know, which is that it would have been quiet because when you're waiting for bombs to fall, people aren't screaming and yelling and running. Mm. They're just still. like, they're just still. Yeah. And you're just like, and almost just waiting for the shock. And, <laughs> and I have a memory of that, that everyone's just holding each other silently in terror, not, not panicking and yeah. running and scrambling or anything like that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And where we lived, which was slightly too far, the bombing, we still had bomb um, drills constantly. We had to constantly get ready for the real bombing so they'd run us through drills. Um, but, so we still had to go to the basement and stuff, but there was, at least there was an understanding that it was, it was a drill. But what we got is people moved east, and so we got um, just I can't just an absolute sea of uh, amputees. Wow. So that's my vision of like there was just so many amputees mm. of people who'd been to the war, like young people who'd stepped on mines or people who'd been bombed or whatever, and it was mm. that's my vision of mm. you know whereas going being in the bomb shelters and being bombed is almost like oh that just that was just one yeah. thing that was isolated but the just having the visual and the pictures of the martyrs you know there was just yeah yeah but for us the immediate danger was that people kept disappearing into torture chambers because friends of and family would just get arrested all the time arrested showing their hair for having pamphlets oh. for being you know oh. having yeah. a party yeah and it and it also blows my mind that they were doing that like my dad would like brew beer and have his friends over and they'd be like Shh. like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just like, why, why was that happening 
and they just they weren't used to it they were just like this is life like obviously we're gonna do this thing yeah, yeah, yeah. and so they just kept living and people would have weddings oh and serve alcohol and then they'd all get arrested and lashed and that was much like that was a, those two <laughs> things were competing for yeah. sure and of course then we were getting sanctioned you know these sanctions oh. that the west always puts on higher nations trade sanctions so i'm always trying to explain that yeah. trade sanctions don't work to improve human rights right individualized sanctions do like freezing the bank accounts of that leader yeah might influence his decisions mm. but not trade sanctions mm. um especially not for an oil rich nation who mm. can just kind of do something else but yeah. um yeah so everything became scarce you had mm. to have coupons and line up for food and I was just, yeah. gosh, yeah. That. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> like, such a... because I, I I feel very privileged that I've grown up never having experienced war. I can't even fathom that. To mm. the fact that I sit yeah. across from you and I have, I have empathy, but I have I cannot, yeah. I cannot even put myself in that space. But then I feel very privileged because I was able to leave mm. you know like I can't even imagine because there's my whole generation didn't um I, was I when I first met Behrouz Bouchani who was the um Iranian refugee who came off Manus Island mm. to here and I and I think you know he's I think he's like a year or two younger than I am mm. And he, so he's Kurdish and he was writing about Kurdish rights and indigenous people who have obviously co like constantly faced colonization and, yeah. you know, erasure. And he, so he's really interested in his, you know, and my mum's Kurdish, so we have sort of this connection. Yeah. Um, but when he came out and we were talking and he said, you know what they call our generation, they call us the scorched generation. Because okay. we just, you know, it's like black, like it's that color black and it's because, um, we're the first generation that has no memory of freedom. Like we were born mm. after, like the immediate after the revolution generation, because our, you know, like the parents, we they they had had a normal, relatively normal life, which is why they kept growing beer and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it's like, yeah. how the hell did you grow up yeah. in that, mm. and you st did? this thing of like oh I'm going to start publishing yeah um this dissident newspaper on indigenous rights or all the women and men right now out on the streets in Iran just you know women's rights protests yeah. bearing their their hair mm. it I I remember the fear of leaving the house mm. with my mom and like her you know and she would put on lipstick just to have this one point of resistance yeah and feminism looks different over there you know yeah. it looks like a colorful sexualized woman yeah it's not the opposite um but like how did they do it and they're doing it still yeah I got to leave you know like mm. first nine years yep a lot of stress and anxiety yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but at least you get to grow up with um that as a memory mm. you know so are we doing enough in this country our refugees do you think um I, I well New Zealand has a per capita refugee intake that's far below Australia okay <laughs> even 
Okay. So just to compare ourselves back yeah. to Australia. Yes, I like this. It's good. It gives me good colors yeah. to be able to compare. Yeah. It's like if they suck on indigenous rights, well, yeah. talk to yeah. <laughs> the Māori woman. Yeah. They suck on refugees. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't yet torture refugees on prison islands. Mm. Like they I do. don't like that you said yet, but yeah. Okay. Well, we have, uh, I'm getting to that. Um, currently in front of the house is what's called the Mass Arrivals Detention Bill. Okay. Which is um, the first time that I can think of where the idea of mass arrivals and the need to for detention of potential like boat people has been um, brought up in an election year. Yeah. But um, the previous immigration minister, Michael Wood, was insistent that this is a pressing problem and we need to we need law to detain sea arrival asylum seekers for at least a month without charge or trial. Um, it's passed its first reading and it just had its select committee process where 311 people submitted five in favour. Everyone else opposed. Um including Amnesty International, World Vision, all the churches, yeah. um, Community Law Centre, um, the Red Cross, <laughs> the Human Rights Commission, um, and the UNHCR, the High Commission for Refugees um, Regional Head in uh, Canberra, wrote in, alarmed, quite alarmed. Mm. All of them are alarmed. Um, but, yeah, so... I hope that now with the change of minister that we won't go ahead. Mm. But it's we're not immune, eh? Well, I mean, contextually, this is probably one of the biggest challenges with having an outright majority in the House. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. we're supposed to have moderating factors that yeah. allow things like this to hopefully be moderated and or stopped. Yeah, so that's exactly right. And it's that thing of... Um, when National brought it up, and the Nats actually brought this up in the House when this bill came through, they were like, weren't you guys sitting over there screaming at us when we brought this um, similar concept, you know, and and what's happening now? And it's like, yeah, well, actually, if there's a risk that people lose their connection to their co-papa when they're in power, then we need MMP to balance that yeah. out. Um, so, yeah. I feel like as a just rule of law, taking somebody, detaining them for a month cannot be... Without charge or trial? Yeah, cannot be. Just for nothing? Yeah. Just, I mean, honestly, in this country, you can be caught, like, smoking guns, standing over a dead body, charged with murder, and you still have a right to appear before a judicial officer the next day to determine the need for your continued detention. Yeah, that's right. That's... It's just, it's your right. The yeah. Christchurch terrorist had that right, rightly so. Um, but we're saying the community who were his victim community, mm. essentially, let's face it, mm. will not have that same right no. for at least a month. And for what reason? Protection of the state? Yeah. I don't, I don't. Yeah. So deterrence, mm. um, and we know we can't deter people who are willing to get on a boat mm. in the middle of nowhere mm. like there's something really bad happening for those people so we probably can't deter them anyway australia has actually taught us that hopefully it's like the one thing that comes out of that yeah. um or yeah this kind of idea that oh like well we just we need to you know we don't know who they are and you know and you when you point to something like ukraine 
and it's like Europe is dealing with millions of people who they yeah. don't know crossing the border and no one has ever said anything other than okay what's the coordinated humanitarian response yeah. who how much medical stuff do you need oh do we need um, public transport passes um oh okay the kids need to go to school mm. let's coordinate that that's the only response and we're talking about millions of people when the Taliban came to power in Afghanistan. We had, you know, hundreds of thousands of people cross mm. into Pakistan. Same mm. response. Nobody is passing law to detain anybody in that way other than Australia, mm. the UK under um, this regime, and now us. Mm. So, and, and we're talking about like 30 people is what the bill is talking about as a mass arrival. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Like, we're passing legislation to degrade our laws beyond mm. what we would allow for the worst criminals yes. in our country, in our country yeah. instead of being like, hey, do we need to have, like, an um, emergency medical plan just in case that happens? Like, that's the kind yeah. of question we need to be asking. And it's also, if someone's coming here, like, we're going to know about it for, like, a long time because <laughs> it's going to be real slow. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not in, like, no, the borders are pretty clear. <laughs> No one has ever even remotely come close. Yeah. It's not happening. Oh, my God. So the danger yeah. for me is the rhetoric yeah. in election year, like just yeah. bringing that up and making those communities feel less than, yeah. but also putting them in danger. Mm. Because who, who, who are you triggering when you talk about mass boat arrivals? Yeah. So, so if you could leave our listeners with a message in an election year hmm. what would be that key message um I, okay well if i've got one key message no you can have several <laughs> you are a politician you're allowed to answer the question any way that you'd like <laughs> <laughs> yeah we i mean we talk a lot about naming, as I've said, naming the actors that have made the decisions that have led us to here. So I think if we can just know that the reason democracy is precious, mm. we have democracy here and it is precious. Yep. It is that we can change the systems. Democracy is yep. the mechanism by which we change yep. the big, big picture systems, whether it's... Um, eradicating poverty like mm. we're a rich nation mm. we can actually eradicate poverty mm. there's absolutely enough here for mm. everyone to have a minimum guaranteed income that is livable that's that's been our first plan and it, it came with taxing the 0.7 percent of the top for everyone to have a livable minimum guaranteed mm. income um but that's it's kind of not to get into the details but everything that we've set up has been set up by people protecting their own interests and we can change that. Yeah. So vote. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> so absolutely engage with it and vote. Yeah. Um it, none of those things, whether it's crime, whether it's the economy, whether it's housing or the healthcare system or having sign language interpreters at a crisis um announcement are set in stone no. everything is serving the interests of someone everything is identity politics and the minute everyone votes you see you'll see the systems change mm. to serve the interests of the many yeah would you like to give a second message 
that refugees have birthday parties yeah! and they drink beer and, and brew beer and they create art. Yeah. <laughs> I can't Not one person. <laughs> um, so one of our final things that we always do with every one of our guests is do the bowl of bravery. So okay. the bowl of bravery is questions that my kaimahi have put together. Some of them are odd. Okay. Um, we have not yet had somebody pull a papai and not un- answer it. Oh, my God. That is... Why would anyone not answer it? Well, you know, okay, we okay, like okay. to okay. extend the option of not. You know, <laughs> we do value freedom to make decisions for ourselves. Um, but would you like to have a go? Have sure. a go in the bowl? Yeah, yeah, okay. That one seems to be having a big moment. Okay. Right, 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 right. So I'm not placing any of them. Okay. I feel a lot of pressure because there's green ones, but I'm going to pick a purple. She was, like, coming towards me anyway. Oh, okay. Which do you listen to the most, your heart or your brain? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> um, I'm pretty instinctive. Yeah. I think, like... I don't know if that means heart, but I think it's mostly, it is mostly my heart. Like I'm quite a, yeah, I, yeah again, like I, because of my training and because, because I'm a Capricorn, whatever. I like, I, <laughs> oh my God. I probably like to think I it's my so brain. I in what you just said. I'm like, yeah, Leo, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I probably I would like to think it's my brain, but it's I am like shoot from the hip. It's probably my yeah, heart. Amazing, <laughs> and especially because as a lawyer, they'll teach you to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, and then you're like, but the thing about being the skill that you learn with like legal advocate and being a like being a different being an advocate is really different than being you know a tax lawyer or whatever. So you have to think on your feet, form arguments, you know, whatever. So like the thing is, yeah, they do teach you to. Um, form logical arguments and da 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 but you still you're forming those arguments to support like a position yeah and like how do you you know like obviously in the law that has to be formed based on like your client or whatever but like in if I'm going to bring those skills out to politics it's like the position Mm. is still what your heart tells Mm. you but then being able to formulate logical arguments based on evidence to get there is a different thing mm. you know the idea that prisons are not working mm. to solve crime mm. <laughs> and the fact that they are you know part of a racist colonial system that you just know mm. but forming the solutions yeah we get some evidence and we talk to the right people and we <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fine oh, I love that should uh, I put it back uh, in no oh okay it's your question. You go, keep it. Go, 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 go. Um, beautiful. I'm definitely a heart over here. Heart, yeah. But I've got to use, use your head. Yeah, yeah gotta use this fine. at some yeah. point. <laughs> but yeah, yeah instinct. I, I mean, you, a great thing for politics. You went to the standing orders committee. <laughs> <laughs> like that's probably why they didn't engage with me. They're like, no, she's talking about too many feelings. <laughs> that's not even like a head thing. It's <laughs> like you've got like an Excel sheet kind of mind, like. <laughs> Hey, I want everyone to be in, in, engaged with their daughter. Totally. <laughs> it has been an absolute joy to have this coordinator with you. I'm so thankful to be able to share Aww, some of these really amazing coordinator. And thank you for 
sharing something that was as well extremely confronting to be able to hear about in so many ways so thank you so much yeah i really really thank you for asking all of the most pertinent (laughs) (laughs) deep and meaningful questions as well as the fun ones anytime anytime bloody leos (laughs) (laughs) on that note everyone That is the end of this episode of Quite Simply Politics. Make sure that you like and subscribe, share this with everyone, and obviously we'll see you on our next one coming next week. Kakite!